Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. If the God of the Bible really exists, I would go gladly to hell. And anybody happy to go to heaven to worship such a creature is morally bankrupt. It is because God's wrath is real that his mercy is relevant. Unless you have a real wrath, the biblical concepts of mercy and of grace are robbed of their meaning. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome into another Wednesday of Todd Witnessing on the Campus. It's what we have so creatively termed Witness Wednesday. <laughs> Be direct and to the point. That's what I always say. Okay, so of course, I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd is out on the campus of Kennesaw State University today and not to be the one that wastes a whole lot of time getting to the point. We all know how Todd despises anything not pithy. Let's get to the campus now. This is Wretched Radio. She promises not to bite, but we'll see. This ought to be a hoot. Summer, I have to confess something to you. We've been chatting just a little bit. You are a very colorful student. What do you mean by colorful, I guess? You're interesting. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) All right, you're sitting here with the Bible, and I want to talk to you about life, death, and the afterlife. All right. What's the purpose of human existence? Why are we here? I feel like no one can ever answer that question. A Bible is right here. Yeah, but everyone's purpose is going to be different. Everyone's opinion of purpose is going to be different. Even if we all read the Bible, we're all going to get a different purpose. Well, I would say we can have a different application of it, but is there anything in this particular book that says what the chief end of man is? I guess finding what you were supposed to do, find your calling, which for me, I, I believe it's nursing. I was led to nursing. I love it. And now I'm praying I get the field that I'm supposed to be put into and to make a difference. You'll be a great nurse. I'm, I'm sure of that. And I, and that's, that's what you're doing, but that isn't the same as purpose. Purpose is something a little more transcendent, a bigger ideal, a loftier goal than anything we do on this earth. Do you think that there is anything more transcendent than just our occupation? Are you asking, like, why did God put us here? Sure. Is that what you mean by that? Honestly, I don't know. One thing that I have found, and if you're in a faith, sometimes you have to be okay with mystery. Because sometimes we're not meant to know why. So do you question how our microwave works or do you just trust that it's going to cook your food? I do. But at the same time, I do have some knowledge about the microwave. I know what it does. And if I took the time to study it, I could figure it out. What happens to us when we die? So I don't necessarily believe what most Christians believe, like heaven and hell. In the Bible, it tells you that the devil never made it to hell. So and that he roams earth when we were growing up. We believe earth is hell. You're tempted by the devil here. You do things you're not supposed to do. But if you have a relationship with him, you believe that, you know, he died for you. Jesus died for you. Everyone will go to heaven. Everyone makes sins. They're all equal. I'm not saying that, you know, the rapist is the equal playing field as like a liar or whatever. But we believe that hell's on earth. So if I die, you don't know me from Adam. If I die, where am I going in your opinion? I pray heaven. I hope you find peace. Where- well, how, how, would, how would I get So if I walked up to you and said, Summer, you look like a very nice nurse, and I would like to believe in the religion that you believe in, what would you say to me as the reason that I should become a Christian and read my Bible in the public space here at the university? Okay, so I'm not one to force Christianity on people. But I'm, I'm asking. No, I, well, I was going to say, like, if you, I'm going to tell you what I necessarily believe. I don't necessarily believe everything 
that modern day Christians believe, or I have family members that are Catholic. I don't necessarily believe what they do, but I let everyone have their own opinion because we won't know the real answer until we're all gone and no one can answer that. Have you ever heard the word postmodern? Yes, but what are you referring to? Postmodern is a way to describe the zeitgeist, the mindset, the philosophy, the way people process reality. So historically, there's been the modern era. Uh, there has been, or the, rather, the pre-modern era, then the modern era, and now we're in the post-modern era. This is like a philosophical overview. But from the time of, we'll say, Jesus Christ, when the calendar flipped from B.C. to A.D., for the most part in Western civilization, those people were pre-modern. The church said it. The Bible said it. Done. No reason to question a thing. That's just the way that it is. But then, about the 14th century, give or take, we entered into the age of reason. This is the empirical age, the scientific age, where we decided, no, God doesn't have this figured out. If there is a God, we do. So human beings empirically define what truth is. Well, there were a bunch of liberal German philosophers, and then in the 20th century, some very liberal uh, French philosophers who, having seen World Wars One and Two and how bloody they were, the conclusion was, well, maybe we human beings really don't have it as figured out as we thought. There is no absolute truth. We define truth for ourselves. That's the postmodern era. So let's just say you're a Christian. I'm a Buddhist. We're both right because it's our truth. Would that say that describes how you think? Yeah. So you're a postmodern. I get. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Then I would ask you as a postmodern, do you think we're really here? I don't know. That's a tough question. Because have you ever like sat and like thought of like, who am I? And then you kind of get like messed up and you're like. Yeah, I think that's pretty much you just described the field of philosophy. You just think a lot and get all goofy. Yeah, but we're we're here. Do you think we might be like a computer simulation? I don't know. That gets all mind gamey. I see where you're going. Like, I, I get it. Um, I want to say we're here, but then you also. You're sitting in front of me, but I don't know who you are. I don't know what you think. I don't know inside your own head. You can only see it from your one view, and I think that's bizarre and wild. So I might be living in a giant's dream right now. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. Let me turn the table for a minute, and I'm going to use this book. Okay, I'm not perfect. I just started reading this to get better at it, so I'm not going to say I know everything because I don't. Fair enough. But you've got it opened up to Exodus chapter 20. Well, I'm going to go to 20. What does that headline say? The Ten Commandments. These are God's moral precepts for people, not just Jewish people, but they apply to all people. Okay. So let's take a look at these. Do not have other gods before me. So in other words, God says, I'm the only real God. So postmodernism, he's not a fan. He believes that he's the truth. He's the only God. So if you do not agree with him, then you have broken that commandment. I read a podcast recently, and it was something about this line. I forget what podcast it was. If I can remember it, I'll tell you about it. Um, and it was stating that God made other gods, such as like if you believe in the Greek gods, but he made them lesser, and you're not supposed to necessarily follow them. You're supposed to listen to him overall, but he didn't make lesser gods. I also take that as like how people worship celebrities nowadays. This is kind of tangential, but here's my thinking about why so many, re like the big celebrities, why they die so young. This is just my thinking. Human beings weren't made to be adored like that, and it kills them. Only God is made to receive 
the adoration of human beings, not people. I can see that. All right. So I want to keep going with this. Number two. So this is no other gods before me. Read this one. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. So in other words, you can't define who God is. You can't make a little statue and say, that's God. I'm going to worship him. He says, you got to believe in me and you can't believe in other gods. That's what he's saying in those commandments. All right. Can you read the next one? Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. In other words, when we OMG, it's called blasphemy, and it's a violation of one of his commandments. Uh, Let's do, oops, we've got the, okay, that's there. Okay, so it is a special one. All right. It's a woman's Bible. What is that? So it'll take like, like this section is on uh, chapter 19. It'll try and apply it to your life so you can use it. Because let's be honest, people will read the Bible and you're like, what the heck did I just read? As long as you brought up the subject of woman, you're a nurse. What is a woman? Uh, I don't know. That one, you you have to be careful because you step on toes nowadays. I, as a nurse, respect anyone and everyone. I'm going to treat everyone the exact same. I don't care who you are, what you got, what you do. I know in scientific, it used to be a woman was what you were born with. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that anymore. I don't really know. It's kind of a gray area for me. XXXY. Chromosomes. That's the difference. Some are XX, some are XY. That means some are pink, some are blue, some are boys, some are girls. But then it gets complicated when you have the hermaphrodites who are... You know, it's true, but scientifically, though, if you recognize how rare that is, we'd be more inclined to say, no, that's actually an abnormality as opposed to in the spectrum. But that's a separate question. Let's go back to the woman's Bible here. Let's do in verse 13. Have you ever done that? I have not. Okay, good. If I did, I would not say it on camera. (laughs) All right, what's the next one? Uh, Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Those are God's Ten Commandments. They're laws. Now, I think we can figure out from this book and from observation what God will do with lawbreakers. Because if these are his rules, these are his precepts, and he's giving them as command. You got to do these things. If we don't do them, then we're lawbreakers. So let me ask you a question, Summer. Have you kept or broken all of these commandments? Oh, yeah. Everyone does at some point. I'm with you. You don't have to persuade me. I agree. <laughs> I, I know me. Here's, here's what I think this book says. These are the laws of God. And if we're thoroughly honest with ourselves, not only do we realize that we've broken them, we have to ask ourselves the question, how can I pay for my guilty crimes against God? What can a human being do to reconcile himself to the God whose laws we have broken? And I think the answer to that question from this book is, there is nothing we can do. We are hopeless and helpless. And stop. All right, it's time to pay the bills. Take a quick break. This has certainly been an interesting chat thus far with Summer, and it will continue next. It's a Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MediShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 
400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Have you ever wanted to break bread with Todd? If so, you probably shouldn't. The guy chews with his mouth open. But let me tell you about our newest production here at Wretched. It's called Breaking Bread, and Todd sits down with a special guest each quarter to discuss pertinent issues Christians are facing. Guests like Phil Johnson, Daryl Harrison, Steve Lawson, Justin Peters, Ray Comfort, Tim Challies, and others. Those guys were selfless, and they sacrificed themselves for you. They sat down and broke bread with Todd, so you don't have to. You'll be able to view a brand new Breaking Bread each quarter totally free on the Wretched YouTube channel. Hear topics like racism, aging and dying well, shepherding a child's heart, the fear of evangelism, how not to be a discernment jerk, and more were all discussed on Breaking Bread, which is another production made possible by our gospel partners. To learn more about becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner, just visit wretched.org slash donate. And to learn more about Breaking Bread, visit wretched.org slash breaking bread. Like the Pointer Sisters, I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles. And the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines. But they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org Bible, wretched.org Bible to join the Master's Academy International. Important dates in Christian history. 529 AD. Benedict of Nursia establishes his monastic order outside of Rome. His written code of conduct, called the Benedictine Rule, becomes the most influential guide for centuries of monasticism in the West. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we are back. It is Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd out on the campus today of Kennesaw State University. And he's been chatting with Nurse Summer, who says she's a believer. So let's continue eavesdropping on their chat now. This is Wretched Radio. I'm sure you've heard the theory. If you break a plate and put it back together again, it's not going to be the same. So you can say you're sorry, but the plate's still broken. Just like on Earth, if a criminal said, Judge, I'm sorry, he'd go, well, you should be, but you're still going to jail because you broke the law. You mentioned forgiveness. So you think God might forgive us of our crimes. I do. I agree with that. But here's what I see, though, is a little bit of tension. God has laws. We've broken them because he's just. He can't overlook them. He's got to punish them. But God is rich in mercy. He's benevolent. And he desires to forgive sinners. He must punish lawbreakers, but he desires to forgive lawbreakers. How did God pull that off? 
He gave his son to take the punishment. Yeah, so that if we put our faith in his son, not in ourselves or our works or our efforts, we totally put our trust in him, then God is righteous still because he hasn't overlooked justice. So he's just and he can justify us because of what his son did on our behalf. These verses that you're reading, you're in something called the Mosaic Covenant which is a ton of laws. Wait till you hit Leviticus. You're just going to see. I was going to say, I heard the Bible gets pretty spicy. When you read it, it's like there's all these rules and you start, there's 613. Some people respond and go, well, we're going to work really hard and we're going to keep all those laws. You can't even remember 613 laws. The law should actually drive you to God to say, can't do it. Would you rescue me? Because I can't get it done. That's what the laws should do. So the law is used like a mirror to hold it up to us so we can see what we're really like, not what we think we're like, but what God says we're like. And we realize, yikes, I'm a lawbreaker and I have no hope except for his son. And if I turn from my sins, put my faith in him, he'll forgive me, he'll justify me, and I'll inherit eternal life based on what he did. That's what I think this book is about. I agree. I agree. Let me ask you, you said reading this book, you're kind of new at the whole deal. If I said, Summer, what is the thesis statement of this book? What do you think it is? Probably that you're imperfect. You're going to make mistakes, but he'll love you through it. I'm going to turn your Bible. This is Genesis. Here's the create. God made everything. And then in the garden, man and woman that he created, two genders, they rebelled. He gave them one rule. And they said, nope, we're going to eat the fruit you told us not to eat. And they, their eyes were open. They understood sin. And that's when the world fell from paradise to imperfection and evil and violence and the whole bag. So God finds them and he asks them some questions. But then in Genesis 3.15, when he's telling them, here's the consequences for what you've done. Where's verse 15? Okay, read verse 15. Um. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I think that's the thesis statement of the Bible. He's talking to the devil right there. He's talking to the serpent. And he's saying that there's between the devil and humans, there's going to be a battle now. We see that battle. But he, I'm going to give a seed to the woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent, but his heel will be bruised. Very fuzzy language. Bible can get very complicated with wording. <laughs> I think it gets progressively clear, though. So I think Genesis 3.15 says, all right, we got a sin problem. We got a devil problem. We got a flesh problem. But God is going to send somebody to defeat all of those things. But he's going to be bruised in the process. Does that sound? Do you hear who I'm alluding to? Yeah, yeah. Do you know who Abraham is? It's been a hot minute, but yes, I have a whole list. All right. So Abraham was not from Israel. He was from a place called Ur. And God called him to Israel, and he made him a threefold promise. Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a nation. He's talking about the Jewish people. And I'm going to provide a seed. So this whole book starts out by telling us God's going to send our rescuer. And then the rest of the book unfolds to tell us who it is. And it culminates, of course, with Jesus Christ. That's what this book is about. I like that. Want to hear something even wackier? <laughs> in the New Testament, Jesus dies, he rises from the dead. He was satisfying God's wrath. He was taking the punishment that you deserve. He rose again from the dead and he appeared to people with a body. And he's walking from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, about six miles away. And he bumps into two people who are really sad. 
And he asked them, what's up? And they said, haven't you heard the Messiah was crucified? And Jesus then, here's what Luke 24 says, revealed to them himself in all of scripture. What he was saying was, when you go back and you read the Old Testament, each one of these books is actually pointing to Jesus. So the laws point you to Jesus. The Abrahamic covenant, it points you to Jesus. And there's all kinds of pictures in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ, because these aren't disjointed books. These books are actually connected. And once you start to realize, okay, so this book is actually about Jesus, then I can find him in the pages of the Bible without getting weird and allegorical and be assured that this book is true because it proves itself to be way too thematic and on point from beginning to end. So that's what I think the Bible is about. I didn't think of that at the beginning, but that's, I like that. Okay, so here's one for you. Tell me the story of Noah's Ark. It's been a hot minute since I read that. Nursing school happened as I was trying to do this. The flood came to wash out everyone, so he built the ark, two of each animal. I want to say he did only the clean animals? Doesn't he say, like, do two of each of the clean animals? He just took them by class or species, brought them into the boat. So it's kind of a weird story. It's like, okay, so God wiped out the world, but he saved some through a boat. This is what the New Testament says, that the ark, Peter talks about this, that that boat was actually a picture of Jesus Christ, God judging the world. But if you enter through, there was only one door on the ark. If you enter through the door, and Jesus called himself the door, you enter into the ark, you enter into Jesus, and you will be saved from the wrath that is to come. That's what the story of the ark was actually about. Makes sense. Here's another one. Now, you might not remember this one. This one might be trickier for you. Do you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, his son? Remember, he was really old. I don't know if you remember these details, but he and his wife are like way past childbearing years. And God promised him a son because this is going to be the building of a nation. And his name was Isaac. And one where he goes to sacrifice. Okay, yeah. You know how bad it hurt God to sacrifice the son. I would just phrase it like this, that Isaac, if you will, was sort of a picture of Jesus because Abraham stopped. And God didn't stop with his beloved son. So that sacrifice was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's another one for you. Passover. Do you remember what that is? This is the one where you have to do the blood on the uh, doorway. And then God washed over or passed over. If you didn't have the marking, then you were killed. Yeah. Yeah, So they they would have a lamb, unblemished lamb, come and live with them for about a week, short time. And then and then put the blood, and then God passes over. When Jesus was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, he was celebrating Passover. John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Passover, God passing over because of a blood sacrifice, actually a picture of Jesus Christ. That was the whole sacrificial system, all those goats and rams and lambs being sacrificed. They all pointed to Jesus Christ, the sufficient sacrifice that takes away your sins completely. So that's kind of how the Bible works. I forget what book it is, when Jesus is born. They call him like the perfect lamb or something. They wrap him in the special clothing. If that um, historical detail is correct about wrapping up a, a lamb, but Jesus is the lamb that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. So in other words, Summer, this book is really coherent. It's not like, ooh, all over the place. As you read it, be thinking, okay, what does this tell me about Jesus? What does this indicate about him? And if you do that, that will help it feel way less foreign to you. So now, here's the biggest question of the day. You said you agreed with me that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And if we'll turn from our sins, put our trust in him, 
we can be forgiven and inherit eternal life. Is that true? I think it's true. Some people will say not, but I would rather trust and be wrong when I die than not trust and, you know, be proven. No, otherwise. I'm, okay, then let me just phrase it again. Is the truth about Jesus Christ, not subjectively, because that's I believing it, is that objectively true? About what Jesus, like Jesus dying? Yeah, I was about to say, they've shown like history, because um, I forget where it is. Just read about this one too, it's been a hot minute, where he um, heals the blind man and he walks down the tunnel to the water. It's been shown in like history where that tunnel actually yeah. was. and. Yeah, that that's archaeological support for the Bible. Now, this might surprise you, but I don't think that proves the Bible is true. I think that proves the Bible is accurate. So when we find something from history and it's like, oh, look at that, a coin with King David on it. Yep, he did exist, clearly. That just proves the Bible is accurate. But you need something else to prove it's true. I think the way you prove this is true is by reading its pages. It proves itself to be true. Okay, I see what, yeah. I'm so glad you were reading this book today. And thanks for talking to me. I, I, I figured this would be colorful and you lived up to the promise. <laughs> I don't know how to take that, but thank you. <laughs> colorful, that's one way to put it. Nurse Summer, whether she's indeed genuinely converted or not, definitely needs our prayers. Prayers for illumination and clarity as she continues reading her Bible. Because as we heard, she is very postmodern. And well, I just don't see where the Bible and postmodernism coexist. I think a genuine Christian can have a postmodern worldview in the beginning, but as they grow and they begin to understand the Bible, I think that postmodern mindset sheds away. So let's all pray for Nurse Summer and come back for more witnessing next on Wretched Radio. This is Ratchet Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Yesterday, you may remember, I shared a few terms that are currently being used to describe women. Well, now, just since yesterday's newscast, apparently there is a new gender term. It was used in a tweet yesterday by Pennsylvania House Democrats. A summarized reading of that tweet, quote, Join us tomorrow evening where we will be talking to women and non-men. So what's a non-man? Well, according to a tweet by the Virginia Project, a non-man is a male Democrat. Is that accurate? Could be. Pretty sure you've already seen this, but yesterday more than a dozen members of Congress were arrested for blocking traffic while protesting outside the U.S. Supreme Court. Seventeen in all were arrested, including AOC, who pretended to be handcuffed as she was led away by Capitol Police. And many of those arrested released statements last night, including one from Catherine Clark, who said that they will not be stopped by the extremist Republican Party. So I guess if you have compassion for the unborn, that makes you now an extremist. If that's what the criteria is going to be, sign me up. And speaking of Democrats and abortion, Vice President Kamala, don't call me Kamala the Ugandan giant, Harris recently said, well, maybe it's better if we hear her say it. We know that our country has a history of claiming ownership over human body. So now if you support allowing the unborn to be born, you support slavery. It is impossible to make this stuff up. Pro-murder advocates will literally say anything 
to get their way. It really is a sad day when you compare modern day genocide to one of our country's biggest atrocities. A new poll from Rasmussen shows a strong majority, 60% of likely U.S. voters, believe parents should be notified and give permission before a minor is permitted to have an abortion. The percentage is nearly equal with both genders, yes, both genders, 63% of women and 57% of men believe parental consent should be given before a minor gets an abortion. And look, I know I make a lot of sarcastic statements around here, but when I read this, I honestly do wonder how this is even a discussion. I mean, this country requires parental consent before our kids can play sports, before they can go on field trips, before they can get a driver's license. But if you want to murder your unborn baby as a minor, you can do that in secrecy. We have got to do better. The body of a kidnapped priest in Kaduna State, Nigeria, was found yesterday, according to officials. The priest was kidnapped last Friday at gunpoint along with another priest who thankfully was able to escape the abductors. This year so far, 18 priests have been kidnapped in Nigeria who led the world in the number of Christians kidnapped and killed for their faith last year. And as we tell you frequently here at Wretched, please make sure that you continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Because God's people disobeyed, He sent them into exile. The book of Ezra tells us of Israel's return under Ezra's leadership and preaching, and how Israel underwent a period of intense reformation. When you experience divine chastisement, look to Ezra to see that God's discipline is meant for your restoration and reformation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd, of course, out on the campus at Kennesaw State University this week. And we just had the opportunity to hear him have a very interesting chat with a very interesting young lady. And now let's check back in with him on the campus. It's a Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. Stephanie, you're reading a book that has the word death in the title. Yes, I am. What is the purpose of human existence? I think the purpose of human existence is to fulfill your ideal life of success, happiness, and fulfillment. And what happens to humans when they die? My opinion, I think um, when we die, our body stays on earth, but our soul continues to roam the world and eventually goes through the purgatory and will make its way towards what I think is heaven. So you must be Roman Catholic. I am. I am Roman Catholic. So tell me about the process. You said we die, our bodies stay here, but our souls roam the planet go to purgatory. What happens there? Purgatory is where you are in, what can I say, a, a time where your soul is lifeless and you're finding your purpose to why you're going to heaven. And I wouldn't, con- it's like a justice sentence where you're judged and um, people here on earth pray for you to make it to heaven. So this is where they say, um, your soul was cleansed, your soul was perfect, not perfect, but um, your soul was prepared to reach to heaven. And does that process happen for everybody? Yes, it does, actually. And um, I think that's where you finally reconcile with yourself and your happiness and to say, 
I fulfilled my purpose in life and I completed my life cycle. And this is where I end. So everybody someday will end up in this place called purgatory. Mm -hmm. Everybody will uh, one day end up in this place. And I consider it the, the before heaven. So does everybody ultimately end up in heaven? Well, that's a great question because I'm not someone to judge you. I'm not someone to say, oh, you'll definitely make it to heaven because that's not my choice. That's obviously someone above me, the creator. And um, I think I can't tell you if everybody will eventually or not, but hopefully I will to see you in heaven or everyone else. All right. And how convinced are you of that understanding? I think I... I'm pretty convinced. I will say I'm pretty convinced because how on or how out of all the possibilities, how were you created or how was the basic world created? There has to be something that created, created this place, you, your family, the earth, the water, animals and everything. And I think that's how convinced I am that there is this afterlife of happiness and, um, I don't know. I just imagine myself in a very serene place. Well, that's because you're studying biology and you can hardly study little, you know, just the intricacy of everything and go, that just happened all by itself. It just seems kind of, I agree with you. It seems preposterous. It, it does. And it does. And I think that's what's one of the challengingest parts, because since I was raised Roman Catholic, we are, um, we are taught that you know god created this and in science you are taught oh this is how um certain organisms made it to land or this is how and it's so challenging to say oh no i'm sure god created this oh i'm sure this was created by god but i think it's also understanding how we find ways to say this is how animals reached here this is how the man was created or this is how we adapted and evolved. And I think um, overall, it, it is challenging, but I think it just um, makes me have a more broad understanding of life. And I think it's guiding me to a safer spot. Would you permit me to share with you my take on how one gets to heaven? I, yeah. <laughs> I'm open for it. <laughs> All right. Because I believe God exists too. And when I look around, I see a lot of bad stuff and I see good stuff, but I see a lot of bad stuff. And I see things like police and court systems and prisons, which gives me an idea that this creator is into justice because his creation wouldn't come up with this concept without him. So he must be a just God. He must be one who cares about our behavior. And I believe that God will judge every one of us when we die. Instead of roaming the earth, I say, the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, then judgment. We get called right into his courtroom straight away. He opens up the books and he knows your life, your thoughts, your words, your deeds, everything you've done privately, publicly, he was an eyewitness to the crimes that you and I have committed. So this God who is just can't overlook those crimes. He can't just say, well, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. He sees lying as an abomination. 
He sees thieving, stealing things as being a crime. He's blasphemy. Uh, Jesus said, looking with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you call somebody a fool, it's like you're a murderer in your heart. You don't commit the act, but that's kind of the same sentiment. And if God is a good judge and people stand before him and they're guilty, he must punish them just like we do on earth, must do it because that is what is right, good, and loving. So I think we've all got a really major problem because I don't need to know the books of your life, but I know my own and they're loaded with crimes against God. And if he judges me, I don't have a chance. And I don't think that there's enough time in eternity for me to work off my crimes against an infinite righteous judge. All right. So now you said you're Roman Catholic, all right? I just kind of presented a different approach to this. What did God do so that guilty people like you and me don't have to be sentenced to hell? Well, I think that's where um, a lot of misconfusion um, comes from. And what I think is those are the souls that I don't want to say haunted, but you always have spirits that are roaming that are not healthy spirits, would I say. And I think most of the time, like I mentioned, the purgatory, some souls just never find their purpose, never are certified to make it to that um, official heaven. And I think, like you mentioned, God sees everything. There is no lying behind it and what your purpose is in life, whether you fulfilled it or not. I think um, at the end of the day, you will become a soul that just roams. Imagine a prison and there's people who have committed crimes against the state, against other people. And after 20 years there of their life sentence, they say, I found my purpose would the prisoner guard just release them and say, then you're good to go. You found your purpose. No, I don't think so. Because God knows our purpose. And if you truly know your purpose, he will let you out. But how does that pay for the crimes? How can a criminal be released because they discover their purpose? That isn't just, is it? No, it isn't. Um, it isn't. And I'm not saying once he says the person himself says he's found his purpose, it's rather than he acknowledges his sins and admitted and admits his his ideal of his life wasn't sincere or wasn't God's plan. Um, so in that case, that's why I say um, God is the one that releases us. It's not us. But God releases us from our purpose. Right. But just to use an inferior comparison, our justice system, where there's judges and laws and there's prisons for people. If this person who's guilty goes to prison and really does discover their God-given purpose, that really doesn't have anything to do with the judicial nature of their situation. They still have a debt that can't be paid by discovering purpose. So let me lay this on you, Stephanie, and you just see what you think of this. God knows our situation. He knows that we can't do anything to improve our state. 
and because he's righteous and loving, both of those things, he must punish lawbreakers. But God is rich in mercy. He's a tender-hearted, loving, good, kind, benevolent, forgiving God. But now there's a little bit of tension if my description is accurate. God must punish lawbreakers, but he desires to forgive lawbreakers. But if he just lets them go, well, then he's not being just. So he must come up with a system or a plan for paying for the crimes of the guilty criminals because he can't let criminals go. He'd be an unjust judge. Okay, break, stop, halt, pause, however you want to say it. Let's do that right now. Todd's been getting a lesson on purgatory and purpose from Stephanie, and we'll continue their conversation next, right after this. It's Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. Thanks to our partners, we were able to create channels of food supplies from neighboring countries of Moldova and Romania. Over 45 tons of non-perishable food supplies were brought in and delivered to thousands of people for small towns and cities that suffered from the war. That is our dear brother Max from the Tomorrow Clubs in Ukraine, continuing to preach the gospel, opening up kids clubs where they can, and because of the war, providing resources, providing food and shelter and prayer and of course the gospel to people who are in need if you have never considered supporting tomorrow clubs this might be the right time you are needed in ukraine tomorrow clubs will do the work they will take care of the distribution they just need the resources would you please consider providing them tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. So what do you get when you mix a group of Gen Z college students and a group of biblical experts together with 2,000-year-old questions? Well, of course, you get Road Trip to Truth. John Fabares has hit the road on a quest to find answers to life's biggest questions like environmentalism, social Darwinism, the deadly impact of pornography, and the dangers of agnosticism. Those are just a few of the topics covered in Season 2 of Road Trip to Truth, which is available now at roadtriptotruth.org. Season 1 is also available along with study guides for each season and a homeschool curriculum. Road Trip to Truth helps your children better understand questions from the world from a biblical perspective and it will help you learn how to witness more effectively to this generation. So grab your copy of Season 1 and 2 of Road Trip to Truth at roadtriptotruth.org. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. The war for life is not over. The war for life has just begun. Dan Steiner from preborn.org slash wretched. Our partner clinic in um, Buffalo, New York, is firebombed. A clinic in Longmont, Colorado also was burned. And so this is the essence of who we are as Christians. We war not against flesh and blood. The implication is that we are, in fact, at war, and we are. The war for life rages on state by state, city by city, block by block, woman by woman. Would you please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched, providing free ultrasounds, providing counseling, providing parental training, providing Similac, providing clothes, providing diapers, and offering them the good news of the gospel. We are at war for life. Please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. 
things of God. Is Jesus God? One name given to God in Scripture is El Gibor, the Mighty God. One occurrence of this name stands out. In Isaiah chapter 9, El Gibor is the name given to the promised Messiah. Jesus is that promised Messiah. He is God incarnate. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we are back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. Todd, of course, out on the campus at Kennesaw State University today. And he's been having a conversation with Stephanie, who's been giving Todd a lesson on purgatory and the path to heaven through purpose. And Todd was sharing the gospel injustice with Stephanie when we had to step away. So now let's get back to their chat. This is Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. So he must come up with a system or a plan for paying for the crimes of the guilty criminals because he can't let criminals go. He'd be an unjust judge. So the plan that he created before eternity was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to take on human flesh, to live a life just like you and me, although not nearly as nice, but to live a life, and he was always righteous. He never broke the laws. He never looked with lust. He never dishonored his parents. He never desired things that didn't belong to him. He was totally righteous because he was God in flesh. And they didn't arrest him because he was a criminal. They arrested him because it was God's plan to send his son to a cross. Because on that cross, God poured out his wrath on his son that's intended for people like you and me. So Jesus is the one who takes the punishment for us. We've broken the laws. Jesus pays the fine on our behalf. Therefore, God can let the criminals go because justice has been satisfied in Jesus. And we don't work our way to heaven. Jesus did that for us. He did everything we need to get there. And therefore, we get to go to heaven not based on finding purpose or what we've done, but based on what Jesus has done. And that means I don't have to walk around life with a black cloud over my head wondering, yikes, what am I where am I going to go when I die? I can know that I'm going to be in heaven, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. That's my take. Agree or disagree? Um, I do agree. I do agree. And I, I, I do say I do agree. But in, in me, I think... Um, there's always going to be people who don't deserve to go to heaven. And, and, and I, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be all of us? Well, like you mentioned, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but the same way, um, I don't, if you remember, um, in the Bible, there's this, when Jesus is dying, he's calling out our father and the guy next to him tells Jesus, remember me when you are in your kingdom. And he tells him, you will come to the kingdom with me. You will be, you'll be there. But the guy next to him never, he never told him anything. So where did he go? That's a great question. And so that's why I remain with sometimes God will serve justice. Those who are, um, accept what they've done in life, their cruelness, they have the possibility of going to heaven. And that's where I think the other guy did not make it to heaven. So let's talk about the guy who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have to roam the earth. 
He didn't have to go through purgatory. And he was a crimp. He was probably a murderer, an insurrectionist. He was a bad dude. And just like that, Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. The other guy keeps mocking him. Now, what happens to him? Well, yeah, it's, it's pretty ugly business, the crucifixion thing. But his sins wouldn't be forgiven. Therefore, God, if he's just, will give that person justice. I, I quoted a Bible verse to you earlier. It's appointed unto each one of us to die, then the judgment. So we don't get time to roam. We get called right before the judgment seat of God, and he renders a verdict on us. And for those people whose sins have not been forgiven, he sends them to hell. Those people who have put their trust in his son have their slates wiped clean, forgiven, and they enter into God's heaven because of his grace. I think that's the best balance of justice and mercy. And if, Stephanie, if you and I can do stuff to prepare ourselves to get to heaven, just think this through with me. That means if you and I do stuff to get to heaven, we can get there and high five one another. We did it. We got here. That's not what God's plan is for humanity. He wants us to go to heaven so that we high five him, so that we thank him, not earning it, but see it as a complete and total gift. Here's a Bible verse. I'm going to say it slowly, and then I want you to repeat it back to me what it means in your own words. Ready? By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. Tell me in your own words what that verse means. To me, that verse means your faith is your ticket. And I think um, your faith, the stronger your faith is, I don't want to say like the stronger your ticket is, but um, your faith ha must be strong. And it must be, what I say, um, your punch hole. Boom. Thief on the cross. His faith was probably pretty small. And Jesus actually said, you have to have the faith of a mustard seed, which was like the smallest seed in Israel. So we don't have to have a big faith. We have to have a faith in a big object. And that's Jesus himself. All right. So let me leave you with this thought because you've been very patient with me and very giving of your time. So thank you for that. What I just laid out, but I think if I kind of summarized what you said, you presented a bit of a workspace system without a guarantee that you will actually be with God in heaven. What I just presented was, no, you can know today, you can be saved this moment by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then you can spend the rest of your days knowing you're in a right relationship with God. I'm not his enemy. He doesn't hate me. He loves me. I'm adopted into his family. And when I die, I'm going to go straight to heaven to be with Jesus, just like the thief on the cross did. So that's a grace message. One is works, and then we get credit. The other one is grace, and God gets all the credit. So based on our conversation, which one of those camps are you in? Works camps or grace camp? I, I say I still have to stick with mine. I um, with works camps, I feel like it's something that I've lived with all my life and um, I've been taught that and and I continue with my word. And um, yes, gra the grace rice is the grace is also um, another way to look at it. And I really um, 
I really like to think about it that way as well. But um, I think I still have to remain with my works. And um, I guess it's all with God's choices. And um, I would uh, love to see you in heaven one day. Me too. I, I feel the exact same way. So let me just, I'll leave it with this Bible verse. I'll say it again. This is what the Bible says. By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. So if, Stephanie, someday you realize, you know what, my works aren't going to get the job done. Besides, I don't even know how we'd work all this stuff off anyway. And you look to Jesus who died on the cross to take the punishment you deserve and you put your trust in him, that's when you're set free. If the son has set you free, you are free indeed. So my perhaps challenge to you would be, think about God's offer. You can try to work your way there and maybe, or no, you can believe in me exclusively and I'll take you there. That's that's kind of the the choice that I would lay before you to consider. Fair enough? I think it's fair enough. I think it's fair enough. Now, cool. Tell me what this book is about. Um, I just started it, actually. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Okay. I don't know, but I just uh, I just started uh, a Reddit poll that it was pretty good. So I just... A Reddit poll. <laughs> well, actually, it's a New York Times bestseller, so somebody must like it. Yeah, I guess. I read One of Us is Lying, but um, I, I really like, enjoy this author. She's a pretty good author. Yeah. All right. Hey, Stephanie, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Can we do this? Yeah. You know, not everybody's comfortable with that. All right. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Enjoy your book. Thank you right. so much. See Have you. a great one. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I think most of us can relate to chats just like this. And even the chat that Todd had earlier with Summer. So how do we converse with people who believe themselves to be good? They believe themselves to be a Christian already. They think they're saved. How do we chat with those people? I think it's almost easier to have conversations with unbelievers who know they're unbelievers. But how do we talk with people who think that they're Christians, but they have wonky beliefs? What I think, and obviously this is a personal opinion only, but I think two things we can do, and both involve being prepared. Number one, we need to learn what other religions like Roman Catholicism or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnessism, <laughs> we need to learn what they're teaching. We need to learn what they believe. Number two, we need to learn proper biblical theology. I don't think number one is as crucial as number two, but it's only going to help us have deeper encounters with people. And again, neither is mandatory as long as you know and understand how to share the gospel. That's really the only mandatory thing that we must know. But we're all going to have conversations and encounters like this. We're all going to run across people, maybe even those in our own family, where longer, more intentional chats are going to be necessary. So I think it's incumbent upon us to be properly prepared. And saying that, Cheap plug time. I think the best way that you can start equipping yourself for these potential encounters is with both drive-by false teaching and drive-by theology. And both are available with study guides at wretched.org. And honestly, more than just a cheap plug, they will help you have better witnessing encounters. Trust me. Check them out. Wretched.org. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.